When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This Is The Jet Life. Today's podcast episode coming to you following a two-week break. I didn't do one last week, so we missed a review of the Lions game where the Jets lost 17-20 to at home, their final, uh, or one of their final two home games of the season. It was ugly. Zach Wilson started, put up some decent numbers, but the Jets were unable to win that game. His play overall was inconsistent, spotty, missing open throws, bad accuracy. Jets couldn't win it. Then Zach Wilson gets another start. Mike White, fractured ribs, still unable to play against the Jaguars on Thursday night football. Our only primetime game of the year and our last home game. And Zach Wilson gets the start up against Trevor Lawrence, the big storyline, the number one pick versus the number two pick of 2021. And the Jets absolutely stunk. They had horrible defense. They had pretty bad special teams. They had really bad offense. Zach Wilson was a mess, one of his worst games of his career. He may be done. Everything's looking down, and it's like, man, the team is 7-7 seven and seven now. We squandered a chance. Yeah, we were winning early, but it was behind defense and special teams. Now the defense and special teams aren't holding it down. The running game's kind of falling apart. Offensive line is struggling. Mike White's out. He was the only guy that gave us a real hope. Now playoff shots are dead. But then all of a sudden, something pretty miraculous happened on that Christmas weekend. And in this time off, and I'm glad it didn't do a podcast, because now we get to talk about the fact that so many teams losing, the Tennessee Titans... Miami Dolphins, the New England Patriots, losing games, getting the Jets right back in the mix. And I'm not going to sit here and say the Jets are about to make the playoffs, but what I am going to say is Mike White is now cleared to play this upcoming game against the Seahawks. Then he's going to be able to close it out against the Dolphins, two potentially winnable games. And should the Jets win both of those games, if the Patriots are to lose to either the Buffalo Bills or the Dolphins their last two games of the season, while the Jets win their two games, the Jets are 100% in the playoffs. No questions. There are technically a few other scenarios where if the Jets were to lose to the Seahawks, say, and then like everybody else fell apart, the Jets wouldn't uh, be in the mix. But essentially what it comes down to is the Chargers just clinched a playoff spot. The other wild card spot is held between the Baltimore Ravens and Cincinnati Bengals, whoever doesn't win that division. And then you've got the Jets, the Patriots, and the Dolphins all competing for the same last final spot. It's pretty incredible. A couple teams like the Steelers and Raiders are still technically in the mix. Maybe the Browns in case a bunch of teams lose. But at the end of the day, I'm looking at the Jets' perspective right now. I'm looking at the fact that we can win two games, two winnable games against Geno Smith and is it Tua Tungabailoa? 
Is it Teddy Bridgewater, Skylar Thompson? He's had another concussion. He's in protocol right now. We don't know what's going to be the case there. Two winnable games. With Mike White back in the lineup, one last final push for this 2022 season that's been a lot of fun so far. Definitely taking its turn, you know, starting to go down the gutter a little bit these last few weeks. The injury to Mike White, the Zach Wilson play, not winning some of those games even that Mike White did start. It was, uh, it's been a last tough, like, six, seven weeks for the Jets, but we can close it out strong, and that's what I'm going to focus on today. So I'm glad that we uh, kind of postponed and, and skipped one of those podcasts p- following the Lions game. That said, because we're switching it up a little bit, it's going to be a slightly different podcast. I'm not going to do, like, a Lions game recap, Jaguars game recap, and for good reason. We don't need to talk about the Zach Wilson team because that team's not going to play again. We got the Mike White team. We're going to talk a little bit about what Zach Wilson did in those two starts. We're going to do father time. We're going to talk about the Jets Pro Bowlers. The Jets had four guys make the Pro Bowl this year, something they haven't done in a while. We're going to talk about what the Jets can potentially do to you know, make the playoffs, but we basically already covered that. We're going to talk state of the offense overall as it stands right now. What was it like with Zach Wilson? What is it like with Mike White? Same with the defense, state of the defense. What was it like, you know, the last two games against the Jaguars and Lions? What's it like looking ahead? Special teams as well. We're going to do uh, what's on tap. And we're going to close it out with a Seahawks preview. And that's about it. The last two games sucked. Specifically the Jaguar game, so freaking ugly. We're playing Chris Traveller. I don't want to talk about him too much. we got to move on, and there's greener pastures ahead, literally, figuratively. Let's go New York Jets, pun intended. Whoo! We're back. And it's funny because, like, I was super down and depressed after the loss to the Jaguars. Like, it's freaking over. I can't believe it. This is the worst. How could this happen? Pretty depressed after the Lions game, too. And I was ready to just be like, well, this season's over. We can look towards next year. Got to, like pick myself back up, and I was just in the process of picking myself back up, and then those teams lose and get the Jets right back at the mix, and it's like, wait a minute, what? Are we going one more time? You're going to build me back up one last time to knock me down one more time? Probably, but I'm ready for the ride. We've been doing it all year. Let's go. The roller coaster continues. The Mike White experience is back on. So now before we get into the podcast, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Title is Gang Green Nation Podcast. The series title is This Is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. So really quick, just talking to Zach Wilson, he got two chances to kind of like finish what he started, right? He was really hot to start the year. Not, he wasn't hot. The team was really hot to start the year, and he was doing enough stuff in those games to make it like, well, the Jets are winning, and he's kind of like part of it. We were kind of like, covering up the fact that he wasn't playing great because we were winning. That's all fine. Then he starts to struggle. Jets start to lose. He gets benched. Mike White comes in. Mike White plays really well. Then Mike White gets injured after not winning. You know, he only won one of three games. The record's really bad. And it's been kind of a nightmare. But Zach Wilson had the opportunity to come back in and play the Lions and the Jaguars, reclaim his spot as starter of the team, get the record back in the positive column, get us into the playoffs, and finish the season that he was part of in the beginning. Unfortunately, those two losses, not good performances from him, and he was kind of the reason that we lost. You look at the Lions game, 18-35, 317 yards, that looks good. Two touchdowns, one pick. He had a 90 quarterback rating. So, like, all right, that feels pretty good. Solid performance. But in reality, when you really look at the game and you rewatch it and you see how many open receivers he missed and how off-target some of his throws were 
and how out of control he was and just not seeing the field, he's still not there. He had those weeks off. The footwork isn't any better. He's not seeing the field better. And the problem is it's not coming to him naturally. It's just chaos in his head. It's just like every single time he snaps it, his eyes go wide. Where do I go? What do I do? And he's spending more time thinking than being able to actually just like react to things, see things, pre-snap reads and all that. It's been his problem since the beginning. And it's something that doesn't just happen overnight, doesn't get fixed. He's got the arm talent, but he's inaccurate. He's seeing things late, throwing late. And because everything's not like comfortable and happening naturally, it's causing him to have bad footwork, throw off of weird platforms, throw with weird arm angles and stuff to receivers. He's catching them last minute, throwing interceptions. It's all because he's not diagnosing the field and the play and everything fast enough. The goal is that as time goes on, he's able to do that, but he's not there right now. Then you put him in the Jaguars game, and you're like, all right, well, Mike White still can't play, so we have to hope that against a not-that-great Jaguars defense, you can do something. In this game, he goes 9 for 18, 92 yards. He throws an interception. He's a 42 quarterback rating. Played horrible. And by the end of the game, everybody's chanting for Straveller. They're booing Zach Wilson. It's an ugly scene at JetLife Stadium. Straveller comes in, puts together a couple Tim Tebow drives that are you know, fun in the moment, almost got us some points, almost got us back in the game. But it really just sent a message to everybody that, like, it's just not working to Zach Wilson. And we're at the point where we're putting a guy from the Canadian Football League and Chris Traveller on the field just to see what he can do because maybe it's going to be better and we'll actually have a chance to win a game to take Zach Wilson out. And he puts Traveller in and it actually is, like, a slightly better fan experience and team experience. It's not great. He needs time to mature. He needs time to develop. He's not there right now. There's no reason to think that if he were to play again this week or play against the Dolphins or start game one next season, that that's all going to happen. It can happen. It can happen at any point. We don't know when. Maybe two years, maybe five years. Maybe Geno Smith waits eight years before he finally figures some stuff out. But he clearly needs time to develop. The problem is with him, he's got two more years under his contract. He's making $7 million this year, $9.5 million next year. $11 $11 million in 2024. It's all guaranteed. It's all dead hits if he doesn't get it. If we end up cutting him or anything like that, like they are on the hook for every single dollar that he was originally going to get paid. So at a certain level, it's like, yeah, he's not great. He's not a he's not a great teammate, it doesn't seem like, all the time. Um, but think of the guys that are in, like, the third quarterback seat, you know, over the years, the Greg McElroys, Chris Sims, Brooks Bollinger, Bryce Petty's, James Morgan's, Greg McElroy's. There's been so many just, like, garbage players in these positions, the third quarterback on the team that don't even have a chance of being anything. I think Zach Wilson should just be here. You're going to have to eat that contract unless you can, I mean, if you can trade him for, you know, a fifth-round pick, that'd be great. But if not, don't eat the contract and pick up some chump guy who's just going to come in here and fill a seat. Keep him. Let him, you know, develop. See if it ends up clicking. But don't make him act on game days. Make him uh, an inactive player. Sweatpants, he's not part of the future anymore until he figures stuff out. He's got a two-year window, basically, to see if he can mature, start reading defenses, start having pre-snap reads and figuring out, like, you know, what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to be played. So we'll see what happens there. But not a good time to be Zach Wilson. And my dad is absolutely not into Zach Wilson at all. He doesn't ever want to see Zach Wilson play for the New York Jets again. He's completely over it, and I think a lot of fans probably are, and it's probably a totally fair thing to think, but, you know, the Jets have a lot of uh, 
analysis to do with their financials, what their future is going to look like, who their quarterback's going to be next year. Mike White's basically got a two-game audition for the rest of the season. If he can finish the games against the Seahawks and Dolphins, we'll be able to see. At the end of the day, I like Mike White. I said on the last podcast or the one before that I would be willing to give Mike White, you know, a two-year contract for about you know twelve to fifteen million dollars per year, which I think is fair for him because it's a huge upgrade. He's actually making this big, decent contract that's going to change his entire life. Gives him an opportunity to potentially start, but doesn't handcuff the Jets to him and and sign up for a Mike White experience. Because at the end of the day, he's one and two this year. He beat the Bears. He loses to the Vikings, and he lost to. I forget the other team at the moment, but I think it was the Buffalo Bills. So he's 1-2, and two, and we now have a chance to potentially make the playoffs should the Patriots lose a game. We're playing up against the Seahawks and the Dolphins, two potentially winnable games. He has to win, ideally, both of them, but at least one of them. I mean, if he loses both of those games and he finishes the season 1-4 and four with this roster, I don't care what the numbers are. Like, what are you looking at saying, like, wow, this guy's the leader. He's the guy that people want. Look the way he operates the offense and stuff. It's like, man, we got a good team around us. And if we can't pull out more than one win against a, a lineup of, you know, Vikings, Bills, Bears, Seahawks, and Dolphins, then what are we thinking going into week one starting him again? I think that he should be there in the mix as a backup, competing for a starting job and everything. But let's see how he finishes this season now. Let's see if he grabs the reins and says, let's take this team to the playoffs. Because if he does that, then I think there's no question to think that he's going to be our starter moving forward. And our questions, at least for now, can somewhat be answered. That's all remaining to be seen. So it's no secret my dad doesn't like Zach Wilson. He tells me every single day that he's over it. But I'm like, Dad, I know there's so many other thoughts that you have on this team and what's going on. And this is a pretty emotional spot. I was really looking forward to this week's father time. Kind of told him, like, this podcast is going to be a little bit different. We're not going to be focusing on the negatives of the Lions' performance and the Jaguars' performance and Zach Wilson so much because everything's kind of changed now moving forward. Looking at the Seahawks. And Dolphins, now that the other team's lost, and Mike White is back and cleared to play. Like, if Mike White hadn't been cleared to play, regardless of what the schedule is looking like with other teams, Zach Wilson's starting. We're not looking at playoffs. We're not even thinking about it, talking about it. But the fact that Mike White's back there gives you that little glimmer of hope, like maybe this offense can get back to what we've seen of that at points this season. So I was looking forward to it, and this is, without further ado, this week's Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. The pressure keeps on mounting. Searching for a win when winning is crucial. Well, Mike White is back, and the offense is much less predictable with him. Expect the running game to open up because he can complete more passes more consistently to more players. This is the most important game since the tragic Ryan Fitzpatrick game in Buffalo in 2015, a game that seemed to put the Jets into a seven-year funk. The great thing about the 2022 Jets is the fact that most of our rookie contributors were about 15 years old at that time. They've heard about the dramatic misfires of years past, but they don't own it in any way. Ask Sauce or Garrett Wilson. The youth will be ready. Mike White is the spark, and our young players are going to lead the way. The veterans are the method, and the young are the fire. That is how this season started, and that is how this team is going to show up in Seattle. I've watched hundreds of Jets games, and I have forgotten about the fan stamina that is needed when you're fighting for a postseason spot at the end of December. It is exhausting, but so much fun. We've invested in the Jets for seasons, and this year has paid us dividends that we've waited for and deserve. Sunday, the secondary will shut down the Seahawks receivers, and the addition of Mike White will loosen up this below-average defense. The Jets will be, be dynamic on offense. This is going to be a great game for the ages that will be talked about for years to come. I'm not going to make a bold prediction, but see you in Miami. Go Jets. End scene.
whoa. So you can imagine when I get this, I'm getting fired up. He's basically going out there saying the Jets are about to beat the Seahawks with Mike White and this fire, these young rookies, these veterans that are going to, everything's going to come together. The culmination of it all is happening right now against the Seahawks in a great performance, setting us up for a Miami game final of the year to see if we make the postseason. Barring a New England loss in there, please come for us. But man, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's got a lot of confidence for a guy that, you know, a week ago, five days ago even, was pretty down on the whole team and what was going on and how this team was finishing the season. But here we are, Mike White back in the lineup is all I really, really needed to see. And he was told Mike White's cleared to play. He called me yesterday instantly when the news broke, and we talked on the phone for like probably 90 minutes as we do when we get in one of these Jets conversations going through contracts of players and who's upcoming free agents and what do we need to do against this team and that team and, you know, touching everything. But at the end of this whole thing, like, yeah, I mean, it's a roller coaster, and he's one more time signing us up. I've seen him a few times this year say that X game, whatever game is upcoming is the most important game of the season. This is a must-win. This is a game the Jets are going to show up for. He's said it a bunch of times. Sometimes he's right, sometimes not so much. But when he's talking about this, talking about playing the Seahawks, and that team that's frankly in the same kind of situation the Jets are in, like started kind of hot and then fizzling out a little bit, yeah, I know we're playing in Seattle, but I think we're going to win. And I think Mike White's going to do exactly what he said, open up that offense, be a little bit less predictable, get that running game going again, get our offensive weapons back in line. Now we got to see Mike White finish a game. Mike White's only played, what, like five, six games in his Jets career, and he's left two or three of them injured. So, yeah, the guy right now, we got to see him get through these these final two. But if he can, if he sticks it out, man, yeah. Potentially playoffs, potentially one final game, Sushi Week in Miami, to see if the Jets can make the playoffs. It would be incredible. I'm not going to look too far ahead, but that's what's on the horizon for the Jets after this roller coaster up and down. We now can set our sights on something again that is positive, potentially a little bit more than just a solid regular season. So thank you for the father time, Dad. Much appreciated. Before we go to the next segment, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of stuff coming up, offense, defense, special teams, Seahawks preview and everything. But first, I want to just check in real quick on those Jets Pro Bowlers, because the Jets fans are really, really good at voting for their players. Rookie of the Week, Player of the Week, AFC Offensive, you know, Air Player of the Week, all that stuff. If the Jets are nominated for them, a lot of times they're winning. And for the Pro Bowl, I was kind of excited to see who would be nominated. There were a lot of guys that were in the mix, a lot of good Jets players this year. You know, not necessarily the very best at their position, but very loved players and a fan base that's super passionate about their players. And uh, a lot of guys that potentially would be deserving especially coming from a team that has not had a lot of Pro Bowl players in the past, um, you know, like 10 years or so. It's been sparse, to say the least. But I was very active in voting. And personally, this is kind of like one of those things that I feel like if the Jets can get a bunch of players into the Pro Bowl, maybe some non-deserving players, just say they get some non-deserving guys into the Pro Bowl, it sends a message to kind of other players and upcoming free agents that this fan base cares about its players and... Yeah, maybe C.J. Mosley isn't the best middle linebacker in the league, but if you want to be the pro bowler and you want to have the fan bases love you and get that big widespread recognition and that accolade in your career and everything, this is one of the teams to be. The guys that he beat out that maybe are slightly better than him that didn't get voted in, well, playing for the wrong fan base. 
got to come play for the New York Jets. It's one of those things that we can control from a Jets fan perspective that makes the experience for the players better when there's so much negativity in the media and all that stuff with the New York fan base that isn't a good thing. This is one of the few things that I think is a positive draw for the team. So the Pro Bowlers this year, Sauce Gardner, absolutely awesome. No surprise there. His running mate, DJ Reed, did not make the Pro Bowl. Travesty. Don't love that. Defensive captain, C.J. Mosley, he makes it. You know, he probably isn't the best linebacker in the entire league, at least in the AFC. But at the end of the day, this is fan-voted for a portion of it. And C.J. Mosley is the veteran presence, the team captain, the leader, the heartbeat of one of the best defenses in the league that's been so much fun to watch. And, of course, everybody was voted in before this past Jaguars game where everything really was the ugliest, especially in the middle of the field. But C.J. Mosley has had a very, very good season. He's a well-known player, a well-respected player, and he does more. I always talk about how he does more for the team than what is shown on the field. And so I think it's great that he gets voted in because people are like, well, if you look on the field, it's like, yeah, but his whole game, it's more than that. And I think that's why fans are willing to vote for him because we see that in him. Quinn and Williams was an absolute slam dunk. No question he was going to make it. And then you got Justin Hardy, special teamer, makes it as well, who, again, maybe not the best at his position in the entire NFL or in the entire AFC, but the guy's been good. He's a captain, and we get our guys in. A couple little notes. This is the first time in the last four years the Jets have had multiple Pro Bowlers making it. And Sauce Gardner, who's a rookie making the Pro Bowl, he's the first guy since Eric McMillan, the safety to do it back, like, 20, 30 years ago. So pretty cool for the Jets. You can see that things are turning around for the franchise. You can see it in the record, but you can see it on the field and with the players. I think if you're a Jets fan, there's a lot of positivity about the future, regardless of what's going on this year, specifically under center and everything. I think everybody basically feels really good about the, the direction the team is headed. And this Pro Bowl is just one small little example of that. So very cool. It's not a real Pro Bowl game either this year, I think. It's like Pro Bowl games, probably a little... Uh, drills and, and passing attacks and wide receiver drills and stuff for the guys at their position. Similar to like a combine, but more fun and in a fun location with like a fun vacation. So it should be cool. That is our pro bowlers. Next order of business. We've been talking about like the AFC East check-in and the playoff uh, sort of race specifically for the wild card. The bills are going to win the division. And then it comes down to the Patriots, the jets, the dolphins to make the final wild card spot. The other two spots are held by one team from the AFC North, the Bengals or Ravens, whoever doesn't win the division. The Chargers have clinched a wild card spot. The Chiefs will win that division. And then you got that one last spot, that seventh wild card spot. Jets, Dolphins, Patriots. If those teams all just suck for the rest of the season, potentially you could see a team like the Steelers or the Raiders getting into the mix, but not very likely. So what it comes down to, when you really look at it, and there's a website called 538, spelt out 538. Um, and if you look up like NFL predictions, you can actually check the boxes for if each team wins each game, and you can see what the percentage chance of them making the playoffs is. And essentially, if the Jets win both games, they'll have an 87% chance of making the playoffs, and that 13% is if the Patriots win both of their games, they'll take the spot. The Dolphins, at the end of the day, the Dolphins play the Patriots this week, and we want the Dolphins to win. Because the Dolphins are one game up on the Jets, and we're assuming the Jets win the last two games just because that's the only way the Jets make the playoffs. So we win those last two games. We'll be one game behind the Dolphins, even if the Dolphins win their two games or their one game before us. Then when we beat them, we would have the same record as them, the tiebreaker because we beat them twice. 
So we actually want the Dolphins to beat the Patriots this week. Tua Tungabailoa is in concussion protocol, so potentially it'll be Teddy Bridgewater taking the snaps. I don't know if Tua is going to be able to play again for the remainder of the season. This story is getting so much legs because he's been in concussion protocol multiple times this year. He was carted off once. It's been an ugly optic situation there in Miami, and he clearly gets concussions fairly easily. It's a very dangerous thing to get time and time again. You've already got talking heads in the media saying things like, this guy shouldn't be cleared to play again. You're going to have the NFLPA complaining about it. You're going to have owners saying we want our quarterbacks playing. It's very important for the league. You're going to have outcry from the media and the fans. It's going to be a very difficult decision to decide how to move forward with the Tua Tungabailoa concussion situation, but it's going to impact the Jets pretty heavily because we do play them, and in a way, we need them to play beat the Patriots. Because the Patriots have to lose one of two games against the Dolphins or the Bills for the Jets to make it if we win both games. So you got the Dolphins. Just say the Patriots beat them because it's Teddy Bridgewater or Skylar Thompson playing. The last game that you need the Patriots to win or lose is against the Buffalo Bills, who potentially, you never know, could be playing like week 18, like we already make the playoffs. We're not going to be going for home field advantage or a bye week, so or we already have it locked up one way or the other. So maybe we're going to rest some players, play a backup quarterback in the final week of the season, which we've seen teams do before, and imagine the Patriots get a win there, and the Jets' playoff shots are kind of doomed in that case. So a real thing that we need to root for, two Jets wins, one Patriots loss. That's the recipe. That's it. I can't wait to see Mike White try to get us there. Whew. It's getting exciting again. Very fun. What a fun season to be back in it December 27th. It's going to be, well, we're going to be playing on New Year's Day. So in 2023, we're going to be playing a very meaningful, exciting game. That's awesome. It went a long way. <clears throat> the final stuff we're going to do before looking ahead to the Seahawks game is just talk offense, defense, special teams, but not their performances specifically against the Lions and the Jaguars, so much as just like the state of the unit. So let's start with quarterback. We look at Zach Wilson. He had the chance to finish what he started. He lost two straight. He's benched. I don't even know if he's going to be the backup quarterback this week, if they're going to make him active or not, what their plan is with Zach Wilson. But Mike White, absolutely, when healthy, is going to be the guy that we want to see behind center for the rest of this season. And Mike White has been cleared. So he's got a chance here to audition for next year, to get the Jets in the playoffs, to earn himself a spot. And that desire that he has, we've seen it, that fight. I mean, he was going to play with fractured ribs. He was like, I'm 100% sure I'm playing. I'm going through the pain. It doesn't matter to me. And unfortunately, he wasn't cleared to play. But this guy wants it more than anything. And he knows right now that he's getting the shot. He's gone back and forth, flip-flopped so many times. But right now, everybody in the world, the New York Jets world, is looking at this one guy saying, dude, win these two games. Do it for us. And if he can, he's going to get that huge contract, that big money, that opportunity to be a long, steady quarterback in the NFL, what he's always dreamed of. So really, really important to see what he can do. And I like the way he plays because he's able to throw the ball quick, you know, 2.5 seconds to get the ball out of his hands, to get it to the running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, whoever. He spreads the ball around. And it keeps defenses guessing, which kind of keeps them from stacking the box, stopping the run, they're not like, okay, quarterback, try to beat us. They're like, okay, we got to be all over the field because he's going to hit the open guys. So then when they start spreading out a little bit, you run up the middle, they start pinching in to stop the run, you throw out wide. Mike White's going to keep teams guessing, and I hope it works. If it doesn't, I wouldn't be shocked to see them mixing Straveller in to some, like, 
Tebow-type run plays because we already saw him get acclimated last week, and it was a somewhat effective style of play. And the Jets right now, they can't be like, oh, that's too cute. Let's not get cute. We have to win the game. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, honestly. At the end of the day, if it's Braxton Berrios taking every single snap at quarterback, as long as the Jets win. But Mike White's the guy that gives us the best chance. Zach Wilson, we probably won't see him again this year, barring injuries. And maybe we'll never see him again playing for the New York Jets. We'll see. When you look at the running backs, <laughs> this group is a mess. And man, honestly, if we had Brees Hall, the Jets would be in the playoffs, guaranteed in my opinion. And if we had AVT, maybe the same. But the running backs are a mess. Bam Knight is banged up with an ankle injury, and he's not at 100%. Michael Carter has been inefficient all year. James Robinson, who we traded for, was supposed to be a nice little addition when Brees Hall went down, like, hey, this is going to counter a lot of it. He's been a healthy scratch three weeks in a row. We're not even seeing this guy on the field, even against his former team in a revenge game where the Jets needed to pound the rock in bad weather against the Jaguars. Inactive. So when you look at that, you're like, man, the rushing attack has just been so inefficient. We're getting like 1.8 yards per carry. We're getting 40 yards total on the ground at a game. It's a mess. I think the spark plug potentially in these final few weeks of the season, maybe Ty Johnson. Maybe Ty is the guy who's got fresh legs right now. We know he can do a little bit of everything. He's made a share of mistakes and bad drops and bad blocks in the past for the Jets. But we've seen him have some big games, saw him have one nice game this year, and we know he's got fresh legs. And if things aren't working, we can't just be slamming Michael Carter and Zonovan Knight up the middle for one yard for the remainder of the season. we got to try some new shit. Ty Johnson mixes things up a little bit. Mike White's going to get it to him. When it's all said and done, I really believe that just having Mike White out there opening up the entire offense and getting so many different players involved, it's going to allow the running backs to be better. So I think we're going to see a better version of Bam Knight, a better version of Michael Carter, and a better version of Ty Johnson when he plays, even James Robinson if he does. A better version of those players this week than we've seen the last few weeks with Zach Wilson under center. When you look at the tight end group, CJ Uzama's coming alive. I know it was Zach Wilson games, but just to see him involved in the offense on a couple really deep plays, a nice Bomb pass touchdown from Zach Wilson. A really deep, like, 40-yard grab from Straveller that, frankly, he was open for, like, a 70-yard touchdown, but Straveller doesn't have the arm for it. C.J. Uzama had to come back, dive for the ball, but he caught it. We're seeing Uzama finally get involved in the offense where basically all year it was a one-man show. It was Tyler Conklin, and then C.J. Uzama was good for blocking out there and maybe one catch for seven yards in a game. But now we're seeing that weapon be there. So you're seeing some chemistry between these guys. You're seeing Uzama get comfortable. Tyler Conklin is still, you know, he's solid. He makes some penalties here and there. He's got some bonehead plays. I think he's not the most cerebral tight end we've ever had. But between Conklin and Uzama, I like where the tight ends are at. I like their usage. Really no need to see Rucker or Yaboa this year. The wide receivers, good group here because Garrett Wilson is still rocking. He's broken the records of Wayne Corbett, broken the records of Keyshawn Johnson for rookie, re- rookie seasons. He's going to have over 1,000 yards this year. He's one of the best rookies in the league. Could win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Great season there, so he's still playing 100%. Mims missed a, game with a, missed a game with a concussion, hopefully getting him back out there, not because he's the most dynamic wide receiver in the world and the offense runs around him, but because he blocks well, and typically he catches the ball when it's thrown to him, and he's kind of reliable in that, like, you know, wide receiver 3-4 position. Kind of like what we've seen from him this year. Elijah Moore... As much as Garrett Wilson gets hot, Elijah Moore just can't seem to get it going this year. I mean, we've had how many different quarterbacks playing? 
We had Joe Flacco, Streveler, Mike White, Zach Wilson, all taking snaps. And Elijah Moore, like, he had a couple games where it was, you know, three catches for 70 yards or something, maybe a touchdown once. But the guy has not had any consistency this year, and it's a really, really down year for him. And I know he wanted to get traded, and want maybe he's blaming, you know, his performance and everything going on on the fact that he's not with the right team. But with all these different quarterbacks and all these different opportunities that he's had on the field, man, we need to see some more. He was supposed to be the guy coming into this year with that really high ceiling of like, man, he was great as a rookie. I can't wait to see him year two. He should take that leap. Just like next year, we're expecting Garrett Wilson to be just as good, maybe better. Elijah Moore has taken steps back. And he can't blame Zach Wilson. And he can't blame Mike White or Joe Flacco because he's had an opportunity with every single one of them. The only thing he can do right now is ball out in these last two weeks and help the Jets get to the playoffs, maybe play well there and boost his stock with this team because it's going down fast right now. You look at uh, Jeff Smith, he had a couple nice uh, grabs against the Lions, had a pretty good game there, then he got banged up. Corey Davis is back playing for the Jets, so he didn't, uh, I don't think he played against the Lions, he did play against the Jaguars. There was like 90 yards of passing in that game. He had one really bad drop that he should have caught. That was a bummer, but Corey Davis is a reliable target that Mike White would love to have on the field when he's playing, so that's going to be really, really good to see. The offense, as my dad said, is probably going to come to life with Mike White under center, so this should be fun. The offensive line is the one thing that potentially could hold us back because that unit is a mess. Herbig, I know he was banged up, and they were like, he's probably going to have to play for an, through an injury for the remainder of the year at right guard. It's clearly affecting him because he is not as impactful as he was. He was knocking bodies around, pushing people off the line, and now he's the guy getting banged up, getting knocked off the line. McGovern had a couple really hot games. He's slowing down. Lakin Tomlinson not earning that contract that he got, that big you know, I don't know if it was like $12, $13, 14000000 million contract that he got. He's not living up to it. So the offensive line is making it hard for the running backs. It's making it hard for the quarterbacks. When we're talking about these last two games, Seahawks and Dolphins, we talk about the need to win them with Mike White and a good running attack. That offensive line is going to have to help. And your quarterback's going to have fractured ribs wearing something around his waist probably. But if he gets flattened and leveled and split in half like he did against the uh, Buffalo Bills and Matt Milano, geez, he's not going to be able to play again this year. He could, If that happens on the first drive of the Seahawks game and Boye Mafe comes off the edge, one of these dudes, you know, Nwosu, rocks him, he could be out on the first drive. And we could be playing a Zach Wilson again or a Chris Traveller or a Joe Flacco, all of which are horrible, horrible options compared to the starter. So we really need that offensive line to have its best performances these last two weeks. And it's not a crazy pass rush from the Dolphins in the final week of the season. It's not a crazy pass rush from the Seahawks this week. But let's keep our guy upright. Let's keep him healthy. Let's run the ball, make it easy on our quarterback. Let's close it out strong. That is the state of our offense right now. You look at our defense. Quinton Williams missed a game. He's back. <laughs> it was the first drive against the Jaguars. He gets ripping up the middle a strip sack on the very first drive that sets the Jets up for three points to take the lead against the Jaguars, and I couldn't have been more excited. Like, he's back, the all-pro. Quinn Williams is an absolute dog. And then he still had a good game. He had a couple really nice plays throughout the remainder of the game, but the rest of the defense, no more sacks, no more turnovers. What a bummer. But Quinn Williams still had an amazing game, and that guy is, if he's healthy and playing good, and it looked like he was against the Jaguars, if he can do that the last two weeks, that's huge for this team because he is one of the best players in the league. He's definitely the best player on the Jets roster. We need 
at this point, must win games. We need more out of our pass rush. Everything was working early in the season, not because the quarterback, because of the running game, Brees Hall and everything, the special teams units getting blocked kicks and blocked field goals and big returns, and the defense causing turnovers and getting sacks. There were games where the Jets were getting five sacks, you know, sacking Josh Allen five times and winning the game. These last few weeks, the Jets are getting no pressure on the quarterbacks. They're allowing a Jared Goff and a Trevor Lawrence to stand in the pocket with ease and just dice up a zone defense. It needs to start from the front, and there are two guys that are getting huge, huge money. That's John Franklin Myers and Carl Lawson. It is their time right now to show up, to earn that money that we're giving them, and help the Jets win these games. I think it's a big opportunity as well for Jermaine Johnson, who's a rookie, who hasn't really flashed a ton. He's definitely been noticed, you know, throughout the year with a couple nice plays. Right, He forced a, blocked a punt, forced a safety, had a nice sack on Josh Allen, had a couple nice run blocks, sets the edge pretty well, but it's not like game in, game out. If he does something big in these last two weeks, moves his needle trending up, going into the next season, get some confidence, like as a veteran going into his second season, the rookies come and he's like, you know what, I'm feeling good right now, I can't wait to get back at it. That's what I'd like to see. He's a young guy that's got an opportunity to do that for us. But really, between them, like Quinn and we know we're going to get good out of him. Keep him healthy. Let him play those games. Carl and JFM, do what we brought you in here to do and wreck these games. Geno Smith is very sackable. I think we all know watching Geno Smith as Jets fans how sackable that dude is. He sometimes just runs right into it. He'll run 15 yards backwards and wait for you to sack him. Let's do it. (laughs) Come on, guys. Get after him. Looking at the linebackers, as the defensive line doesn't get pressure, the linebacker group is the one that's being the most exploited and targeted. They're not trying to throw out outside wide out the numbers on DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner because they're so good in coverage. They're not throwing super deep because we're doing really well at taking away that deep shot with our safeties playing back. But what they are doing is dicing up the middle of the field. We know that's what this Jets defense is kind of a weakness. The goal is to have a long drive, you know, make the team play 15, 16 snaps to go down the field don't let them get anything quick anything easy hope for a sack hope for a turnover hope for a penalty stop them from getting in the end zone limit them to a field goal that's what the goal is of the defense and unfortunately when it's not working everything's not clicking you see a team like the Jaguars have a what 20 play drive 96 yards go down the field score touchdown like what the hell's going on here it's happening way too frequently right now and the big thing is the pass rush isn't getting there so we're getting diced up zone defense middle of the field Evan Ingram was targeted in the middle over and over again. Christian Kirk got a few there. Amon Ross St. Brown was living in the middle of the field. And so we're not seeing, you know, a guy like Quincy or CJ really get to do what they do best, hit players, thump, stop the run, because they're spending time backpedaling into these zones, trying to make sure that if the pass rush doesn't get there, the guy that's coming slanting across the field isn't going to have a big gainer, get outside and get onto those defensive backs, make a big play. It's, uh, it's been tricky, but C.J. Mosley made the Pro Bowl, and Quincy Williams still has big hits here and there. We just need to kind of get back after the quarterback to make everything work on this team. You look at cor- cornerback, Sauce and D.J. Reed playing great ball. right? They're both really, really freaking good. And I'm not looking for perfection from them. I'm not looking for every single pass that's thrown Sauce's way to be perfect, and he stops every single one, and D.J. Reed doesn't allow any catches, even though against the Lions, Sauce Gardner wasn't targeted a single time. That's pretty incredible. I'm not looking for 100% perfection. I'm looking for like 85%, and we're getting that from both of them time and time again. Really, really good seasons, and uh, I expect nothing but the same for the last two weeks. There's no reason to think those two guys will be anything other than awesome. 
looking at safety. Jordan Whitehead, not incredible in coverage, but he hits like a truck. Joyner's been banged up, not played the last two games. His uh, backup right now, Will Parks, is a good special teamer, a fun guy on social media, but doesn't bring anything to the defensive side of the ball. The guy's consistently late. He wants to get big hits. He wants to play like Jordan Whitehead, but he's kind of in a free safety position. He's late to the plays. Maybe he's not as much of a liability as like Ashton Davis was, but he's not a, a big value add there. So that is our defensive side of the ball. Hopefully we get LaMarcus Joyner back to play safety because he is the best safety we have on the roster next to Jordan Whitehead. So that is defense. Now we have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And today, I'm drinking an amber ale made by New Belgium called Fat Tire. You may have heard of it. It is a pretty common amber ale that you'll see in a lot of package stores, but it's a classic. It's good if you like amber ales and stuff like this. It took me a while to start to enjoy it and have it grow on me. But now, this time of year, I kind of see it like, kind of has like a Marsden or Oktoberfest sort of flavor to it, and it's nice. It's brewed in, out of Belgium, New Belgium Brewing. It's in both Fort Collins, Colorado, and Ashenville, North Carolina. This thing is 5.2% alcohol. It's in a 12-ounce can, which I do like because I don't always want to commit to 16 ounces. You can choose to drink, you know, you got 12 and 16, they're very divisible numbers. You can choose a lot of different ways to have the same amount of alcohol with the 12-ounce cans as multiple 16s, but you can also limit it with a little bit more flexibility on these guys. So I like them. Buy them in a 12-pack, put them up in the beer fridge, just enjoy them through the cold weather. That's what I've been doing. They probably have more calories than I need in them. Ever since the wedding, I've kind of started to plump back up. Unfortunately, not as disciplined with my routines, and this beer probably isn't helping, but that's just kind of what this time of year does to you, the holiday seasons and the cold weather. And I'll get it back. Don't you worry. I'll be back on my nice thinning high noons and things of that nature. But for now, nice, thick, delicious amber ale fat tire from New Belgium Brewing. So that is what's on tap. Now, before we go over to the special teams and a Seahawks preview, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We were talking offense, we were talking defense. We're going to close it out real quick with special teams. Return man Braxton Berrios has been okay. He had a few really heads-up plays. I really liked when he had his foot out of bounds and caught a kickoff, getting the ball at the 40-yard line. It's something that Leon Washington did for the Jets, I don't know, probably 15 years ago at this point. But it's a heads-up play for a return man that not everybody knows about. You put that foot out of bounds and catch the ball. It's an automatic. It's considered an out-of-bounds kick, which puts you at the 40. So that was great to see from him there. Did have a couple not-so... Heads up plays, not a lot of massive gainers, a lot of fair catches. So he's been, you know, hit or miss. I'd like to see a little bit more from him because he is one of those guys that's getting paid $6 million not to be a receiver, but to be a special teams asset and fair catching the ball and, you know, dropping some punts here and there in bad weather. Not ideal. We need to see Braxton Berrios do what he does best, be that all-pro returner like he was last year, and get some big old returns, some 50-yard returns, maybe a kickoff return, some to the house. Get the Jets back in these games. We need help. Our offense, our score, we, we scored three points against the Jaguars. We need help scoring. Braxton Berrios is supposed to be a weapon. No, it's not done in the traditional way of just, like, throw it to a wide receiver, let him score, but it's definitely a way that he's been impactful scoring for the Jets for the past year or two. 
And we're not getting as much this year out of him in that return game as we have in the past, and that's why he's not in the Pro Bowl this year, and that's why he probably won't be an All-Pro this year. But he got that contract. We paid him. We wanted to keep him here because we thought we were going to see more of the same. Let's see it. We got two games left, dude. Ball out. Greg the leg, his kicks have looked sketchy for the last two games, but uh, he only missed that one really long one that if he had kicked it in against the Lions, it was like 60-yard try. If he made it, game would have gone to potentially overtime, at least tied the game up, given us a chance. I don't blame him for missing that one. He made the other two kicks he's had in these last two weeks. He's been solid, but the kicks coming off of his foot have looked a little sketchy, a little more wiggly than I'd like to see. The weather has been pretty bad. The Jets have played like a really high amount of bad weather games this year. It's not like snow. It's just really windy, cold rain that they keep playing in. And it's not ideal for a kicker. It's not ideal for really anybody on the field, except for, you know, running back in the trenches maybe like it. But, uh, yeah, Braden Mann, the punter, this guy's so inconsistent. It's like for every great thing he does, and it happens, he does great things, he does something horrible. It's just like, what the hell's going on? His highs are so high. His lows are so low. He's like... One of the flash, like, I don't even know how to explain him as a punter. This isn't really what they are. Usually they're just, like, not a great leg. or he's This guy has the ability to be awesome, but he just can't do it consistently, and he makes these horrible, you know, 30-yard shanks or what the hell are you doing? And I don't know if it's worth keeping him around next year if he can't get more consistent because the last thing you want there is inconsistency. It's not worth, like, one 60-yard kick or one great one on the three-yard line or a nice tackle that he makes in the return game for him to have like a 25-yarder and lose you a game against the team. So I think we need to see some consistency out of him. But if he can't show it for the last two weeks, he may not be here for much longer. That's basically our special teams. I think Thomas Hennessy was almost in the Pro Bowl as a long snapper. Would have liked to seen him there. So now the last order of business is just to take a look at this Seahawks game upcoming. This game is going to be in Seattle on Fox at 4.05 on New Year's Day. The Jets open up as 2.5-point favorites, probably because of Mike White, also because the Seahawks are kind of reeling. And this is something I want to kind of make a point of because a lot of people are pissed off at the Jets. and like, how could they fall apart? This team can't make the playoff. They don't deserve it. They've shot themselves in the foot. They took themselves out of the running. I ask you to take a step back and watch the NFL. Take a look at the Patriots and the Dolphins and the Titans, take a look at the Seahawks and these teams around the league that have been good for most of the season. There are so many teams that are falling apart and can't finish the deal, and that's why the Jets right now at 7-7 seven and seven after these two bad Zach Wilson losses are still in the mix for the playoffs because everybody's blowing it. It's not just the Jets. It's not unique to us. Like, oh, the poor Jets. It always happens to us. What are the chances? The Seahawks are doing the exact same thing, and it's why we're probably going to beat them this week. It's why Vegas thinks we will. It's why my dad thinks we will. That's why I'm confident we will. We're playing in Seattle, 2.5-point favorites. That means, realistically, Vegas gives us four or five points on a neutral field over them. Feeling good about it. The coaches of the Seahawks, they're doing well. Obviously, we know Pete Carroll. He's been in the NFL for 28 years. He was in college for 19 years. He was the Jets' defensive coordinator for four years back in 1994 or so under Bruce Coslett. He ended up becoming the Jets' head coach, went 6-10, and 10, got fired. Went, you know, around college football. I think he was with USC in the NFL. He's been with the Seahawks for forever. But the guy potentially was, like, in this power struggle with Russell Wilson. You know, who's the guy that's deserving of the credit and everything? And clearly now we see he was able to make it work this year with Geno Smith 
Drew Locke as the backup option, and Russell Wilson's been able to do nothing. So let's give some credit to Pete Carroll and what he's been able to do as a fiery old dude out there. He's got two coordinators. Defensive coordinator is uh, Clint Hurt. Offensive coordinator is Shane Waldron. So a pretty good coaching staff there for the Seahawks. Pete Carroll, he's a, he's a fun dude. I like him as a coach. He's one of the guys that I like. And their offense, I like their quarterback as well. Geno Smith was a guy that was a New York Jet, and no, he wasn't my favorite Jets quarterback. And no, when he was with us, it was similar to Zach Wilson. It was like he did the same bad stuff over and over again. He never could stay in the pocket. He always was out of control. He would run backwards for 15 yards, run out of bounds, couldn't throw the ball away, take deep sacks, take us out of field goal range over and over again. First year, second year, you're like, how have you not gotten better at this yet? Isn't this like the one thing we're trying to fix? And he wasn't able to do it. And Zach Wilson's in the same sort of position where it's like, dude, he just can't get better at these specific things. And maybe teammates don't like Zach Wilson. Teammates didn't like Geno Smith. He was punched in the face by I.K. Enning Polly for owing him like 600 bucks or vice versa. He was getting in fights in the locker room, missing games, screws in his jaw. It's, I mean, Gino at the time was a mess. And when he was replaced, it needed to happen. But with time, he's been able to mature, grow, watch, and get better. And it's not like right when he left the Jets organization, oh, you just leave the Jets and you'll be fine. He played for the Giants. He was a backup there, had some opportunities, didn't play well. He's been around. It just took him this long to finally kind of get it. The right coach, the right situation, the right mindset. And he's able to see this stuff, and he's playing pretty well this year. But he still is Geno Smith, right? I still expect the Jets to be able to sack him. He's been sacked 39 times this year. He's been sacked for minus 305 yards. That's how many sacks, sack yards he's lost, which is the fourth most in the league, and it's only 14 less than the most, Russell Wilson. So he's right there. 305 yards lost off sacks is a ton because it's classic Geno. Running out of the pocket, running backwards, taking big sacks, going down pretty easy. Not super athletic, likes to try to look downfield, make big plays. That said, he's having what would be, but you look at his stats on the season, he's got 3,886 yards. He's going to have over 4,000. He's got 27 touchdowns passed. He could have over 30. Nine interceptions, 103 quarterback rating. For all intents and purposes, without Joe Namath in the mix, this would be the best Jets quarterback season of all time which is crazy to think about Geno Smith, what he's doing this year in Seattle. That's how bad our quarterback play has been. But I'm not afraid of him. I'm still not scared of what the Geno Smith's experience is going to be like against the Jets. His two big weapons, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, both targeted over 100 times. Those are the huge targets for the team. Nobody else is like over 50 targets. The next most is their tight end, Noah Fant. So it's Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And those guys live outside the numbers. They love to go wide, play the sidelines, go deep, take those one 1v1 jump balls from Geno Smith, and that's going to be DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. And a lot of weeks it's like, well, we're going to put, you know, Stefan Diggs is going to be one of them, and then the other guy's going to get Gabe Davis. It's like, meh. You know, one guy's really good and one guy's okay. This week, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, I don't care which guy's on which side. They are both very difficult covers. I imagine the, I imagine the Seahawks would probably want to get a big, huge guy like DK Metcalf lined up against DJ Reed, because he's way shorter, he's five foot nine. go up against DJ uh, DK Metcalf and try to contest a ball up there. That's probably their goal. But we've seen DJ Reed be able to use that five foot nine speed or size to jump up, block balls away even still. He's playing in spite of that size. He's not having issues against big receivers. They're not catching it over his head. He's making the play on the ball, on the arms, on the receiver, to force incompletions. I love the matchup there. 
They don't go across the middle of the field all that often. They do get some screens. They do get some curl routes and things, but a lot of it's outside. A lot of it's going to be targeting Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, exactly what we want. We need to get sacks from our defensive line. Geno Smith loves to get sacked, exactly what we want. I feel really good about this matchup. I mentioned Noah Fant. This guy's their tight end, their third leading receiver, and he plays a lot like Evan Engram of the Jaguars, who just diced us up for over 100 yards. Um, if Geno Smith can get cover- comfortable and dice up our zone defense, expect him to use Noah Fant exactly like Trevor Lawrence used Evan Engram, going across the field, screens, little, you know, whether it's a bubble screen or a delayed screen, slants over the middle, just crossing routes, trying to throw five, six, seven yards and let him get 10, 15 by picking some stuff up on his feet. That's what Noah Fant kind of does. They have another tight end, Will Disley, who's also pretty good at, like, the screen game and getting open in the middle of the field. So those are kind of the two guys that you look at that's the weakness against this Jets defense. But I think because we can get the pass rush on, Geno Smith, I think, and because we can stop those outside receivers, I don't think they can do enough with Noah Fant and with Will Disley to really beat us up. Marquise Goodwin's their third receiver. He's fast, but he's, you know, he's not really used that often in their offense. Their running back, Kenneth Walker, is having a pretty good season. He's solid. He can catch. He can run. But not super scared of him behind that offensive line. Same goes for you know Travis Homer and DJ Dallas. Now that Rashad Penny's out for them, he left for the season, uh, you know, eight, nine weeks ago. It was a while back. But those running backs, besides Kenneth Walker, not super dangerous. Even Kenneth Walker, he's no Brees Hall. He's a rookie. He's good. But he's not a guy that's going to take this game over on this Jets defense, I don't think. Like I said, they don't have a great offensive line. You know, like We need to feast. This defense needs to feast. They need to get back on track and get fired up going into Miami. we got to win this game. When you look at the Seahawks' defense, it's not a super strong unit. I mean, they have nine sacks from their linebacker, Nwosu, who's a good free agent signing they picked up. they got some decent guys in the middle, like Quentin Jefferson, Puna Ford, Shelby Harris they got from the Broncos. Those are good players. But they don't have a lot going on in their pass rush. They don't have a ton at their linebacker position that I'm super worried about. You know, Bruce Irvin, we've seen him for a while. Jordan Brooks is a solid player. Boya Mafe, you know, he's a rookie that's doing an all right job on the outside. He's got a couple sacks this year, but not super scary. They've got a really, really nice young cornerback in Tariq Woolen who, you know, thinks he should potentially be defensive player of the year or pro bowler instead of Sauce Gardner. The guy's tall. The guy's good. He's physical, but he's nowhere near as good as Sauce. He's one of their big players. Let's make sure we stay away from him because he can get a lot done. They also have the cornerback Kobe Bryant, who's a rookie this year and was opposite of Sauce Gardner at Cincinnati. Not as good as Sauce Gardner, but still a decent player. It's not a scary defense. And they're one of the worst in the league. They're one of the worst run defenses in the entire NFL. They're one of the worst defenses overall in the league. And this is an opportunity for Mike White, Garrett Wilson, Zonovan Knight, Tyler Conklin, CJ Uzama. We got guys across the board that I think, man, I don't want to get too high on it, but I am very, very optimistic about this game. It's hard to think that after what we've seen as a product the last few weeks, how could I possibly see this Jets team and go into this week thinking like it's going to be a good performance I just feel it I'm predicting the Jets win this game Mike White starting I'm saying the Jets score 31 points Seahawks 17 a 14 point two score win for the Jets to line up just like my dad said against the Miami Dolphins in the final week of the season man we need that to happen we need the Patriots to lose and we can make the playoffs so 
we'll see what happens. Let's go defense. Let's go Mike White. This is every single player in this team. we got a cool roster, a lot of good players, a lot of good coaches and everything. This is everybody's opportunity to shine in, as my dad said, the biggest Jets game since that Ryan Fitzpatrick game of 2015, final week of the season where the Jets lost and missed out on the playoffs. This is that. And if they win, next week against the Dolphins will be that. So here's to hoping for at least one more week and having at least one more fun week of football going into 2023. Hope everyone had a good, safe, happy holiday. Happy New Year. Can't wait to see what happens against the Seahawks. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 